Well, well, well. I gotta say I'm a bit flabbergasted, delighted, rejoicing, nervous, and even approaching speechless to have the mother of my children, my ex-wife, my friend, Nicole. Nicole, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Yeah, that's it. That's the first word you say. Just get your words, just get them out there. Yeah, so, wow. What a journey, you and me, huh? Yep. Mm, I'm really happy that you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm feeling all those things as well, being here. Yeah, right. I mean, our story is, seems simple and also really complicated, right? Like you said it to me the other night, and you're like, well, lots of people have gone through what we've gone through, if you put it in one context, right? But then you take it to a spiritual level of what we've done and who we've been and the whole journey we've been on. You know, we've been on a pretty unique a journey of union, of raising our children for starts, and you taking a heavy lift on that and being the mother that you've been and just us going through our life journey. Here we are now, after many roller coasters have been kind of estranged over the last 18 years, right? Yeah, for sure. Many years we were friends, though, when we the were. boys were young. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too, actually, right? When I was thinking the, it was all estranged, and I'm like, no, it wasn't all estranged. There was times when she was calling me about boyfriends, and we were doing real friendship support for each other. Right. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing here now in Florida. I mean, like, you live down in Bonita Beach, which is a cool, enviable place where I'm here because of you. What's your world like here? Well, I just recently have been celebrating that I raised our boys. And so I've been trying to kind of create my life now that I'm not 24-7 mom. So I've been teaching art to kids at this community art center down the street and living by the beach and enjoying the dolphins and boat rides and just really loving the as they say, the weather down here. It doesn't suck, it sounds like, <laughs> really, right? But before we go into like the kids and stuff and what you're doing with the camp, what's it like being an empty nester? How's that hit you? Well, Heath, I'll tell you, it's been a heartstring every time. I don't know if uh, one of them's around here, but they haven't totally left yet. I'm kind of waiting. I'm in this waiting pattern to tell you the honest truth. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. But... They come and they go, and they come back from college and they go and then every time it like tears me, but I feel like it gets shorter and shorter each time. Yeah, the pain or the grief of it, the tear apart each time, mm-hmm. you kind of handle a little less the time, but every time it's like a roller coaster of that. I hear that happens for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I hear that they just keep coming back and right. we just keep feeling that way every time. I'm sure leave. I'll cry every time. Every time, maybe, right? Then. Yeah. And then even with the grandkids, it's not even about the kids anymore. Maybe we're not feeling that oh, way. But man. then all of a sudden the grandkids are like, you can't leave. We love little Jesse. <laughs> you know, right. something, right? You know That's Michael's going to have kids. You know he is, right? I think they both will. I think they both will too. Yeah, Gabriel's talking about it lately. That is one thing that came up today when we witnessed that beautiful ceremony as he was talking about 50 years down the road. And I think that's when I really lost my feelings around it, sitting there with you and being so present and loving and realizing that we're not married anymore, but that there's still a possibility of that for us. Kind of wasn't something that I had always saw for us. So it was really nice today. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. We went to our friend Shane's wedding, who was at her baptism. And who's uh, mentoring underneath the uh, guy who baptizes Terry. So, and that's really what brought us back together from, you know, a while of really not talking much is May 5th. Yep. Do you want to paint a little picture on May 5th from your point of view, what that day was like? May 5th for me, 
was just as extraordinary as it was for my family. It was my, you, I guess my ex-husband and my, both my boys and one of my boys' girlfriends all got baptized. And even though I've carried Jesus with me my whole life, I felt like I was reborn because my family was, and it just snapped me into this place that I'm very thankful for. Mm, we're both, yeah, we're riding the wave of that right now. Wow. I started saying it was beautiful on Mother's Day, but it just is this ongoing wave that keeps getting larger and larger. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Wow. We're living that. Yeah. And you were divine being there. It was, it was like, it was the anchor. I mean, it, would, it, just, it was so amazing having you there and just your whole presence and with all the love you brought into it and the anchor you did for Christ, for us, for our family. I mean, it was a union that we were all not realizing that we would get, that we got. Right. Now we've been attending church together. We get to play together. We went to the birthday thing and we get to be here and we get to laugh. We get to spend a whole night laughing together up to the early mornings. The boys were back at the apartment together. They were just like, I can't believe our parents are laughing. You're talking to each other until early morning. Right. Right. They even go, I hope they didn't have sex for one last time. <laughs> anyway. We didn't. Oh, I, told, I actually told you what they told me <laughs> yeah. about that. I don't think that's okay for the no, podcast. We'll leave that out. Yeah, it's all good. It's all <laughs> private. But anyway, it's been really beautiful having this time with you, Nikki. I mean, having you here with me uh, right now, not just podcast here with me, but here in my life, hearing who I am right now, hearing the re rebirth of my life, the whole newness of it all it does take it back to the wormhole when we first met. And, who we were when we met and when we got married and when we birthed children together. It feels like exactly like that was yesterday. Like there was like a, a ripple in time. and It's been a little confusing, which I had mentioned to you, yeah. which brought us here, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brought up a lot of emotions, you know, being able to heal. Heal so much. I mean, it's a huge Everything. healing process. Yeah. I mean, for some backstory on that, Nikki and I got married very young. I think, you know, I was 25 when we really kind of went into it turning 26, right? You were 22, you know, we were babies, but we were in love and we were passionate. Yes. And we spent a lot of time together as friends before we got together intimately. She was dating a friend of mine, Dan. And we were best friends. We were best friends. For the record. We were like besties. That. Yeah. I we didn't were really, best I friends. Didn't, yeah. I didn't, you know, I wasn't holding that back, but I'm glad you bring that. Yeah. We were best friends, right? Every time we saw each other, we leaped in each other's arms, big hugs. It made other guys jealous, I'm sure, but we didn't even think that way. And so we just, we enjoyed a really fun quality of life. We were surrounded by lots of entertaining people and lots of culture music live music club scenes early underground dance scenes mm -hmm. you know everybody was very creative we were all in a really cool grasp days with the grasp days yeah so the 90s yeah those 90s into the early late 2000s 90s. late 90s yeah yeah so i got to see nikki dance and be her full self expressively and creatively in those times which is kind of rare in its own right for any man to get to know a woman that way you know and you got to see me kind of boisterous young man kind of making my mark on the scene. Oh yeah, always. So we got to, and then we you know at that point we, the funny part of our, our first union story is I was going to Telluride to go to a, supposedly meet with Johnny Depp through this gal, Amy, and I had just done the Telluride Bluegrass Festival with, right? And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and I had this little white prelude at the time and I was gonna you know, race down, it's like a six hour drive. And, and he goes, you're gonna go meet Johnny Depp? Not without me, you don't. He just grabs onto the coat arm and we, yes. we, we rolled. On we that. did. We rolled and we she did. had this amazing divine 
red dress that she wore out in the, in the town that, that was night. Mona Lucero design. That Mona Lucero design dress that was like just the whole town. Local, Denver. Everybody was wondering which film you were in, right? You were literally like the actress that nobody could pick, pick which movie you were in. It was really amazing energy. Oh, yeah. Right? Thanks. Remember? And all yeah, the dance I nights remember, and all that. I remember. That was the turning point for us. That was our intimate turning point in the hot springs over at Orvis. And on the mountaintop there. Mm-hmm. We were listening to John Lennon's Beautiful Boy. And somehow we kind of had gotten this zap that we were going to have a child together. We even started talking about it then. And we had not even been intimately together. And then that weekend and every day after, we were pretty intimate. Until we went, had a pretty hardcore train wreck end of our marriage relationship. And largely due to me and my infidelity. And so there we, bam, hit basically rock bottom trauma drama after a time it was taken to get there anyway. But boy, that's how we, that's how we ended that little super sweet, warm intro. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then to make <laughs> it even uh, worse, you know, I had, oh. I'd had two affairs in our marriage and one was with a woman that I, I did have feelings for, but I broke that off to kind of go back and be this stoic husband and be with Nikki because I loved her and I knew her second son was coming and that relationship got cut off and she knew it and we never went back. And so then I thought it was a really great idea to start having an affair with her best friend. Yeah, I'm the guy who did that. And it was brutal. And it was a dark place for us. And it was very sad. And it was very douchebag of me at the highest, highest levels of douchebag kingdom. And Nikki gets to hear me say that out loud and look at her in the eyes. This, I'm just, this is a look of shock, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know it. <laughs> Uh, so we I, share the same story. Truth is love, right? Is, That's the it truth. It is, and it's nice to hear you be accountable for it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I really want to have a courageous conversation with you and meet you halfway all the way through this thing, you know, so that we can heal when we haven't healed already. You know, where this all just happened to us has happened in a very short order. We're going to go through rounds of healing that are on our own and about each other. And as you brought, brought up, there's healing we, we could do. I think it's just pretty we should let everyone know that this is a course of 20 years yeah. if not 22 year or yeah, 20 20 23 years now, 20, 23 yeah. Years now. Yeah. so it's been a long time we did that mouth count just for a second because we know that gabriel just turned 22 and then we basically the moment we got together <laughs> we, she was pregnant and so that was like zap pregnant boom so we can add up pretty quickly like okay yeah that's when it all started it's been a long time been a long time yeah this has been a long time ago and we've lived many lives in between. Mm -hmm. We did some crisscrossing, went up to Boise, Idaho, and you know, tried to do some marriage counseling. Remember that time period, remember Boise? I do. What's Boise make you want to talk about? Because that's when you were the most pissed off. I mean, this is when you, like, you ran to Boise so you wouldn't kill me. So like, right. what does Boise feel like? Honestly, I haven't thought about these days for a very long time because once I experienced my side of it, I had to not forget, but just push these memories back so far and so deep within myself that I had, I have to sometimes have my friends remind me of how it was back then. That's fair. I mean, that's what you do with trauma too, right? We kind of bury trauma. Yeah. I mean, I can paint some of the picture for you. You know, I came home to a pretty much empty house that <laughs> got loaded up very fast by your family and my family into a U-Haul truck. And within a short period of time, you were in Northwest Idaho. This is where I love your mom because she she helped me through that a lot. Well, so did my family as well, but she was in Boise and I couldn't even t 
take care of our babies that well. I mean, I'll be honest, I guess I won't get in trouble 20 years later, but I thought I was dying. I mean, I, I felt dead. And I guess that was our marriage that I was feeling. So it took me a while before I could even do anything, work, anything. Yeah. So Boise's kind of that. A dream of just being crippled emotionally in a lot of ways and grieving in just an extraordinary way. Well, that was the first time I experienced what blackness felt like. And that's not my nature, so... It's not something I want to experience again. But then one day someone said, hey, what are you scared of when you already experienced the worst thing that could happen to you? And I thought, oh, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> that's quite the optimist person. <laughs> quite optimistic of you to go. <laughs> I guess I'll get back out there. Go do that. Yeah. <laughs> Which hasn't been exactly easy either. Oh, no. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit more. But um, yeah. And so what is Boise like for me? So this is, yeah. So then I realized I had a short period of time to kind of transition my job, which I needed to anyway, and get to Boise and uh, just try to stay near my kids and maybe save my marriage, which I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. But I knew I was going to give it my best shot, you know, and I remember driving in the snowstorm in that weird little Toyota van that, you know, Jonas Temple and, and Jeff G gave me a loan for to buy this little Toyota, used Toyota van. And we're driving in a snowstorm across the, the you know, U.S. It's good karma at the moment, but the uh, bad karma coming back at me right away. So the heater breaks. <laughs> so we're like, Save and I are like wiping down the window in this you know, truck, you know, with me feeling the same, probably just like, I don't know, you know, like everything has gone wrong. I mean, at that point, I was pretty clear that what I couldn't stand most about it was is that marriage was supposed to be and is the most important union, you know, and a decision that people can make. And at that point, I was like, wow, this early on, I got to bow my head to God when I walk into the pearly gates. I just now already just blew the whole thing from the get-go. So I was in a place of despair, right? Hopeless despair, probably. Landed there. My mom put me in some hippie for girl's backyard. That was like a total just trashy place. And everything just kind of felt black and white and gray. But then I got to, you and I went through some of immediately our just interactions that could not be good. We were both shocked and in trauma, angry and upset. So we had our little ins and outs. But ultimately we got to spend some soft time together up there, which I remember was kind of the beginning of knowing that there was something for us that would come out of this. And I knew it maybe it wouldn't be our marriage would be safe, but that we would somehow make it here today at least, you know, and in between. And most importantly, I was hoping we could just at least raise our kids and, and try to do our best for them together. Right. And so we got to do some fun trips to Tampa was the next thing, right? Yeah, you got the job. Right before the Boise, I got the job, yeah. Yeah, you got a job in Tampa. Yeah, and we did a couple of visits down there to make sure it's a place you'd want to be. We did. Yeah. And we kind of rekindled some of our intimacy at that we time. Did. We did, I don't know whatever happened uh, we, with that. We did. We had a lot of sex in Tampa. <laughs> I think that you had decided, well, by the time I got there, you had moved on. Uh, okay. Had I'm I? Pretty Is sure. that what was going on? Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. By the time you got there, as far as after the break from... Right before we were divorced. Because we actually were divorced in Colorado, but we were both in Florida. Well, no, no, no. You were in Colorado. I was in Florida. But you had just gone for a business trip to Colorado. So it just happened to follow on our divorce date. Uh, yeah, I Do you re remember that? Well, I remember. I'm trying to skip forward. I remember the, the Denver divorce day. That I remember very clearly. I'm not putting it in the context or linear time right now. Right. But I remember being there and we both had to 
kind of walk out and be like, we're divorced. Like, this is it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of weird that we both had to be there. We were in different states. I was, it was over the phone. Or you were over the phone, exactly. I was there and walked into the building. Yeah, that's right. I remember, yeah, your voice. Yeah, I haven't gone back to that moment in, ever. It's the first time. Yeah, right. right. Guess you block out stuff too. <laughs> Absolutely block out stuff. That's why I just went through some of the emotional shit show I just went through right? <laughs> with Michelle and, you know, and everything that came back from that, as we've talked about, you know, some real guttural karma that had to still come back and work its way all my shadow sides and that shadow work. Right. It's not easy. You can't grandfather that work in. You got to do the work. You know, that's how I see it. And you have a really cool idea now for helping people get through some of this is the... Jesus on the mat. That's right. Jesus on the mat. That's what I'm saying. So what's that like? What are you thinking? I have taught yoga probably since our divorce, actually. That's kind of what I fell into healing myself in Denver at Core Power Yoga. And I have always carried Jesus with me whenever I went to the mat. And then I was called to be a teacher and have taught since then and still do. But since your baptism, full circle back to the baptism, that moment I had gone through something with my struggle with that. First, I felt like I really wasn't letting everyone that took my classes really know what energy they were feeling, which was, I believe, to be the Holy Spirit with me and working through me to these people. And they would cry and and of course, I just figured, well, they're yoking with the divine. It's God. Hopefully people go to yoga to experience God. But I felt that for over a decade, I did not give my gift justice of really what it was because I feel like everyone turns their heads when they hear about God or Jesus. And so, you know, you keep it on down low and then they figure out that there's something different about you and then they ask and then you can tell them. And it doesn't seem so in their face like a Jehovah's Witness would be. And I feel like in the particular places that I did teach, it was more open for everyone to just come and believe who they or whoever they connect to connect to. And that was okay for me. And I believe it still was, even though I've been feeling different about things more recently. And so now after stopping yoga since your baptism, I've been praying a lot about whether it's okay to do yoga or not. And this is something that I think most Christians struggle with because it comes from a Hindu religion. But I have body pain. I need I need to move my body. When you're strong with spirit, you're strong with faith. You need a strong body. You need a strong mind. And you need a way that you can just come back into your heart where Jesus is right here, right now. And when you take the breath and you practice Jesus on the mat, you can actually just worship him with every inch of your being. And I believe our Bible says that. I can't quote which line it is, but I know I recently read it. And it is talking about fully love him, be one with God. So that's Jesus on the mat. I think that was a badass pitch for one. I'm like, we got it on recording, yeah. by the way. Too. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. And it makes me want to do Jesus on the mat. I never wanted to do yoga. I was just too nervous to look dorky. But now. You also were mentioning being still, that that yeah. was how you were connecting to God right now that's in right. your life. And one other little add on is once you do move your body in such ways 
when you do sit back down to go to that place of stillness, you've been able to clear out your mind and so that you can just be there because a lot of times when you're sitting there being still, and I've seen this with thousands of people in the last pose of Shavasana, they can't stay still. And I think it's because the mind is going, 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 going. And the whole point is to find balance between that so you can just be one present moment, not stuck in the mind. And so then, as you said, get what answers you're looking for. Or I feel like being that's where God is, is in the present moment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't do any scripture verses right now. I got no memory of it. I know Michael's our son's getting better at it. He's like practicing and trying to remember it. But yeah, I know that there's, you know, body temple stuff comes from that too, you know. And the one I remember most lately recently was pray to God like you're yelling with all your heart or something, right? You know, right. like, you know, like scream to God yes. your, your prayer. You know, yes. don't give it some half-baked little lefty prayer of, hey, got a prayer in for you today, dude, left arm, you <laughs> know, a little nudge of the arm. And it's like you pray to God with everything you have. And that's a form of doing it in the physical body with your full intention under your guidance. And you do have a really beautiful way of moving people and, and the way you have done this. I've seen it with my own eyes and you've always had that gift even when you were a belly dancer. Thank you. Yeah. Which I still am. But you still are about it. That's like, cool. <laughs> I figured you are. When I said, since you were, I was like, oh yeah, she's still a belly dancer. Who am I kidding? And so how do you say Michael's transition has been since the baptism? What have you seen different or in both of the kids? And just, you're closer with Michael right now because he's camped out at your house. Gabriel's camped out at my house. So right. with all respect of keeping his privacy, of course. Right? That's you know, exactly yeah. what I'm struggling at the moment. <laughs> I know, right? He's I almost, like, very just particular yeah, on his privacy. On. We might just move on actually. <laughs> you know, maybe more from a mother's standpoint, not so much about him. Yeah. I do want to say this. He makes me think I'm not praying enough. He was already growing up, but this level is so much wiser and he's only 19 and I'm just at an awe with really both of them right now. I'm in an awe in the sense that I feel like I report to him and Gabriel more now. And the two of them are working closer together as brother. Michael had come clean that he's like, Gabriel has actually seen a lot of stuff over the years and I didn't give him enough credit for that, but he really sees it first and warns people about it, right? right? And he's like, he's the seer. He's like, I'm right. the feeler, <laughs> which we all know Michael's the feeler, right? And he's on the show. He's actually on one of our podcasts, and you know, you'll have to listen to it. I would love to. So people who've heard his episode, you know, you could obviously tell he's a very articulate man already, and that was pre-baptism. But now, post-baptism, it's like, he pops these text messages on me and these conversations on me. And I'm just like, I need to be in my highest good, like bright centered. I need to be making sure I'm paying 1000% attention to him and, and giving back equal. It's very wonderful to feel like a new reborn. And I think that that's what I'm experiencing the most out of our children is, you know, like I said, I had Jesus my whole life. So when someone close to me is reborn, you get to see in these fresh eyes, the daily miracles that happen and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. You just get so many that sometimes you forget, you know, unless you're really present and thankful and gratitude, of course. Yeah. You were always, you and Gabriel both were always, you know, strong Christ believers anyway. You were the strongest of the family, right? And, you know, but Gabriel always kind of carried that too. I felt like, especially he from did. your side of the family and kind of held court on his own, you know, 
Michael and I were always kind of the more, you know, we're not sure which version of the version, right? Like we know we're spiritual and I was raised Presbyterian. And, you know, when we were on Davis Island, we got them off to the church there. And when we moved out to Lutz, we got them into the church there with Bobby's group. And so they've been in church, right? We tried to they do our responsibility. They Park City. Park City Church. So, I mean, we felt like we did that of service, but I know for, at least, you know, for me, I knew that it's, and I'll actually include my baptism speech or whatever they want to call that. But, you know, through many different avenues of life, I recognize that my not only my relationship, but my belief in Christ had totally strained and that it had just gotten gone. It was like a firefly and it really became more close to an understanding of my soul through Christ. And it was not like Christ was ever gone. Christ was always there. I know that now, but I was keeping my soul in a little jar like it was a, like a firefly. And I was this human, this ego that had had all this mental wherewithal to make my life be what I thought it needed to be. And I wasn't doing that with Christ. And there was no Christ walk in it. And so then all of a sudden I'm checking in with my soul from time to time, going, hey, you doing okay in that jar way down there in the dark? You know, you see you're still lighting things up. You haven't left, but you know, you're doing okay, right? We're gonna get to where we need to go. And I promise you're gonna fly free and have lots of fireflies and everybody's gonna be happy, right? And I just kind of really dismissed what could have been a lot more of a mindful walk and it didn't choose wisely along the way in many ways. I think Christ navigated me. You know, as you know, I've always had that spiritual vision and I've always believed in the Christ walk and talk, but I didn't do the walk, but I stuck to my regiment to what I believed Christ told me to do. And so I've been guided and navigated through my pure faith and what I was told early on in my faith. So that was what was really refreshing of getting activated again because mm-hmm. that's what it was you know it was like knock knock you need to get activated now your life can look amazing and it can look dark and 180 shitty all at the same time and that can no longer go on you need to get up wake up let's do this now and that rocked my world at the beginning of this year i had just asked my boys to be at the baptism and then they both as you said started talking to you about maybe they wanted to do the baptizing mm-hmm. And so I was flabbergasted they were there. And then it was, should mom come? And the answer was, of course. And so you got there and everything just, we were in and all of a sudden, you know, there's just all of us there once again, locked arm, getting ready to do this. Yeah, it's been intense. Yeah. And so talk a little bit more about not just the intensity of now the baptism, but now, you know, the, the hearing of my new engagement. And that's some of the conversations we're having now is that all these feelings have come up and we've been walking through our healing and what we, how we can, but we haven't even talked about any of these things yet. Any of the old days, any of the rough spots, you know, really speaking it out as to what got us here, that accountability of also what got us here. Right. But now our feelings and our respect and our admiration for each other and the beauty of our children and how happy we are with that and our friendship being rekindled now and I'm engaged and moving on to get married. How does that land on you right now? Well, I think... I would have been fine with it if we didn't heal. But now since your baptism and this this feeling of my family again, it's been very difficult to understand because I I still have feelings for you in the sense of I guess when we got married we were both in a very light place and then you came back and so it's been difficult because I feel like you have to somehow let me go. Like, I don't know what you have. Like, I just feel that I'm still, and the only thing that I can come up with is that 
our marriage was a spiritual one. And anybody that knew us back then knew what the deal was. We were the family of love. I mean, that's what everybody said. It was Zion. Yeah. And we knew it and we were going to, and so. <sighs> and you're single now, which is really wild, right? I mean, are you, are you yeah. single now? Yeah. I'm single. It's amazing. You know, if you've seen Nikki, you'll see some of the pictures. You know, she's a gorgeous, beautiful woman inside and out. And But you've had a lot of pretty significant relationships I over have. the last 20 years, right? I have. How have those flowed? Well, it took me probably, I would say 12 years before I could actually open up again to another person in my heart. Mm-hmm. So for a while, I just kind of acted like everyone else, except for I would like to say I was an honest player. I was a player, but I was like clearer telling, like, you know, these days it's dating so different. But back then it was like, I just had to tell the person, yeah, I'm dating whoever I want when I want, like deal with it. And if I wrote a book, I have, I believe that that would be one of my best chapters because I was extremely wild after our divorce. Not at wild, but just, I didn't give a fuck. Like you had torn me so down that I was just like, no one could get in. Yeah. But I had still a lot of fun and got fed so many amazing cuisines for a while there. and Yeah, serial dating will get a lot of food going on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just got with yeah, that's a fun idea sticking with you doing the book. Uh, I think that's so cool to take that one chapter. Trampa. Oh, is that Trampa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trampa case. Yeah, I, I call it Trampa not because of me, but because I believe everyone that was married there was cheating. Yeah, that town is crazy. And maybe just because, I don't know, that, but. I hear that now that everybody's on Tinder is pretty much married. I was honest. Certain, yeah. I was like, yo, You've always been honest. they came after me more. That's what made it fun. Yeah. But eventually I wanted chicken noodle soup when I was sick. And I thought it's time to open up a little more. That's beautiful. That's a really nice way to say that. Once I did that, I've had great men come into my life. And honestly, they weren't you, Heath. And like, it's hard to put a peg in something that, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe now that I'm on my own, like the boys aren't here that I'm, I won't be so attached to our family mm-hmm. and I'll be able to open up to, and, and I would like to say it took a lot of healing, like outside of your baptism of before course. all that I have embarked, which is probably another podcast, Yeah, but I had done some serious, um, emotional clearing for myself, which I would love to share with you about mm-hmm. the vocal and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. Um, it's, I believe, a tool to move certain patterns that were given. And it's a way that you can clear the mind of all the chatter, especially the negative thoughts that people constantly deal with. Because the truth is all those negative thoughts aren't even true. They're just patterns that have been passed down through generations to generations. And everybody's worthy of love and light in their life. You know, everyone is. Yeah, yeah. But everybody thinks they're not because they have all this bullshit playing in their they minds. They do. They got it. And this is why I say without tomb, change your channel. You got to change your channel. You got to explore your soul. You got to get activated, but change your channel, yes. right? Change your channel and all that. And that's hard to do it's unless so hard. you. Well, these tools, like you said, you do mean, it. Yeah, you would. And you, you got to do, do it. it. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. You can't just go to a bar every night. You're never going to change your channel. Yeah, exactly right. 
I'm glad to hear you say it out loud. Change your channel. Say it again. Mm, would you? It's, change your channel. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, and then on the sound healing, you and mom have been way ahead of your time on it. You guys have had your own breakthrough experiences with it. I can tell you that I had some sessions that really broke through for me as well. I think generational sound healing is going to be all the rage. You guys are just way ahead of your time. This will be, you know, normal stuff five years from now, especially for. That'd be nice to know that there'd be that many people that are about positivity in the world and trauma healing. And doing it through And you tools. finally can feel love and be loved. And that's exactly the whole point of doing it, right? Because when you get on the other side of this healing, it's waves and waves of grief that we just go through that, you, you know? Yes. That is everything on the chair, by the way. There's no sugarcoating the kind of work you have to do. You go into the wounds of everything that has hurt you and you sit there until it doesn't hurt anymore. Oh my God, it's the fucking most grueling work you ever do. It's the most painful, it's no unbelievable, joke. no Nobody joke kind of work. Nobody wants to do this. No one so wants to do this, but again, the reason why you do it is because on the freedom. other side of it is freedom. Freedom. That's why I have that tattooed on my chest. Freedom of the mind. The mind. That's right. I say the ego. I say the ego, right? I had to destroy my ego. I think they're the one and the same. They're one and the same. I mean, I just did it you know, in a lot of ways my social media and everything. I mean, it was like a crazy cool video even. I'm just like, this guy is going out of channel. This guy's mm -hmm. no longer on the network. Heath Burr is gone, right? I'm a man with no name now. You know, I'll use that Heath Burr label over there. And you know me, Heath Burr was always kind of, it's like Heath Burr, you know I mean? Like people say, the, people keep calling by my whole name all the time, which is weird, you know, Heath Burr, you know? Michael Heath Michael Burr. Heath Burr. But uh, that guy's gone. I mean, there's remnants and I honor what he taught me. To be honest, right? And I honor his courage and, his, and I honor the, the weak things that he did that also helped me get here today so that I could go through that grief so that I could be, you know, free. And that's where I'm kind of even, you know, working through this microphone for myself and with all that I am and with whom I love and want to love more and honor, right? Through the courageous acts of just being honest, like you said, which you're good at, right? And I do think that's why I did this season is truth is love. I do believe it. When I say be love, what comes after that is truth. That's the closest thing I can think to to get to an everyday state of being of love, is living in no obscured, delusional untruth. The more you add, well, I'll just avoid that truth with that person, or avoid that truth with this, or I'll put that truth out of my mind sight or out of the way, well, then I'm living in a world of lies with liars, right? And then being a liar. And so now I realize that I have a firm commitment to that truth and it's scary, you know, it takes a lot of courage and sometimes it can be disabilitating. But I feel like every time we break through with our truths and especially with each other in true candor, with an open heart, like you said, then we get to breathe and feel love and be it. And I think there's a lot of love avoidance out there. And when we got separated and was going into the divorce, I, was, I came up with a concept called Diary of a Broken Heart, the story of the walking wounded. And I'd already figured this out, that I was living this, embodying this. I think I maybe started concepting it before we even broke up. But I certainly thought of it when we broke up. And I started to see how it was like, how relationships would self-sabotage each other. So I kind of had this like movie singles in mind with like a bunch of different couples in different stages. And it was a script, right? Mm -hmm. And then it changed in from there to the two scariest words. And I was like, okay, intimacy and insecurity became what I felt like people didn't talk about enough. We weren't candid enough with each other about our desires for intimacy and needs for intimacy and, and the beingness of intimacy. 
we put it on the shelf even. I think that it's going even further away the more people are addicted to their phones. I agree with you. I think intimacy is like, you know, like a firefly now. I mean, much like the soul in the jar. Kind of pull it out and say how pretty it is and wouldn't it be nice? And so and insecurities are the things that we need to be honest about, about our frailties, about our weaknesses, about the things we haven't healed yet, about the things that we're scared of, and that everybody has those. So then I decided, well, how the heck am I going to do this? So I have these two favorite books. You know, you've always known The Prophet, right? Mm -hmm. Close your brawn. And then Black Elk Speaks is another one. Mm -hmm. And both of them are interview books. And so where someone's interviewing The Prophet, you know, Prophet, tell me about marriage. Or someone's interviewing Black Elk saying, what about your great vision? And so now it's a, a book where I'm traveling around the country recording interviews with a bunch of people, all with using these 12 words. So depth, range, capacity, motive, aesthetic. I'm going to interview each person on those words in the framework of the intimacy and insecurity context of the two scariest words. And then we'll bring it all back and edit it into one common voice, as if it was one voice of humanity with 100 different interviews in this context. Wow. So that's the two scariest words. But the very seed of that came from, which now I kind of feel like this is like one of the most amazing projects I have in my mind, my heart, my soul. I feel like it's so necessary. It's going to bring so much magic to the world that I won't know of, right? That I'm only an instrument of. But it came out of even some of our unbelievable meltdown trauma. Diary of a Broken Heart, the story of the walking wounded. I knew I was wounded. I knew we were all wounded. And I knew we were getting our hearts broken every day, even, not even with all the crazy shit that we went through. Our hearts were getting broken even before and after, and still have been, right? So I think the work that you guys are doing with the healing on the sound side, I think conversational honesty and candor and truth, being intimate with each other and, and truth. I think the yoga, I think all the things are the, the new world of which we need to pay attention to, lead ourselves to every day to live a worthwhile life. Absolutely. A life of love. I agree. I think that um, the world is very different for our children. And for our adults, and for our elderly, yeah. and for our age. Yeah. I mean, Everyone. I, yeah. Everyone. It's a little heartbreaking. A lot of dark in the world. Remember, I, you know, you knew with me at the Media Vision, you were just telling me this earlier, like, hey, I'm not all into this media stuff, and it's a big part of the problem. And when I had my earlier vision, and God told me, I need you in media, and I repeated this story for you know decades, but it's because that's where all the dark's going to be, and I need light in the dark to make shit happen for me, you know. And here we are, and it's totally weird for me too because it, it's mostly about the media that is creating this unbelievable amounts of really evil. Well, that's where everyone is, and yet they're in the evil. So in that evil, and that and I'm going to say that word, and that money, and that money, and that currency is evil. That money, and that vanity, and that and that lack of heart, and that just greed. And now that greed is turning into disdain. We're seeing it on TV, people spitting in each other's faces, waiters and waitstaffs getting treated like servants. I mean, people are angry, hurt, destroyed, pissed off. I think this goes on levels of these individuals. I think that right now it's, it's levels and layers that they can't even control it because there's so many. Exactly. And that's what happens when, you, I guess, it all just takes you over. All your grief and anger and trauma take you over. You're not even working any of it out. Exactly. Wow, well that was about an hour. I told you to go pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know Thank you love you. me, Nikki. I know, I do. You do. I do. And I love you very much too. I'm really blessed. And I do want you to be happy, and I would like me to be happy as well. I want that for you. 
And I mean, however we can be happy together, I'm down to try. So I don't know what that looks like for us, but I'm glad that it looks like something is better than nothing because I've missed you a, lo a long time. You know, I'm touched right now, right? Yeah, I would like that. I know we're creating that. I know it's what we're manifesting, and I'm really grateful too for that. I want you in my life. I think we're better together. Yeah. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right. That's the end of the podcast, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. The mixed messages. The mixed messages. The mixed messages. The mixed messages. Mixed messages, 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 messages.